Welcome to the Good Fight Radio Show, a program dedicated to bringing you vital and uncompromised truths that you won't hear in the mainstream media, discussing contemporary issues in light of the Bible and how these issues relate to family, culture, and the church. The heart of this show is to glorify Jesus Christ and expose the works of darkness as he is commanded in Ephesians 5.11. Now here's your host, Good Fight Ministries' own Chad Davidson. Lonnie Frisbee, who was recently played by The Chosen's Jonathan Rumi in the hit movie Jesus Revolution, has been declared by many as the main catalyst of the Jesus movement, while others have pointed out that his eventual teachings and lifestyle exceeded anything found in Scripture. We examine these claims and take a look at Lonnie Frisbee, the false prophet of the Jesus Revolution. Thank you so much for joining us on this special edition of the Good Fight Radio Show. With me to discuss this very important and also difficult topic is none other than the president and founder of Good Fight Ministries and pastor of Blessed Hope Chapel in Simi Valley, California, Pastor Joe Schimmel. Yeah, Chad, this has uh, been an incredibly painstaking uh, a subject to investigate, and uh, we're going to dive in. It's painful, but people that love truth, we got to love truth, we got to love Jesus above all else, and then we come to the truth. Amen. And, you know, we've talked with a lot of brothers and sisters in Christ about this subject, you know, whether Lonnie Frisbee or the Jesus Movement, Chuck Smith, Calvary Chapel, and we have so many brothers and sisters in Christ in the Calvary Chapel Movement that this has been a very, very difficult, painstaking effort in terms of looking at the material and also decide whether or not this is important enough to talk about, because a lot of people are having that struggle as well. Oh, can't you just be happy with and just say, look, there's this movie and it talks about Jesus, so that's great, and not mention anything about Lonnie Frisbee. Because, Joe, I know that with all the research you've done on this topic, and I think for people to understand, this is not easy. This is a difficult subject to talk about. Uh, It's incredibly difficult, and you usually have to deal with two extremes. You know, one extreme is to say, Anything that came out of the Jesus movement, all the hippies that claimed to be saved then, you know, basically that's just all was evil and everything else. That's one extreme. And the other extreme is to stick our head in the sand and just declare people a prophet because they, we think that God used them. Not really look at their lives and what they were saying and what their message was and, and so forth. And, uh, uh, and you know, and, and as we go through this, you know, we, I do believe, you believe, I mean, we're not cessationists. We, we believe that uh, God still works today, that he could still uh, speak to our hearts by his spirit. He'll never contradict his word, though. Uh, we believe that God can use dreams, and He has, and continues to do so. We've seen that, uh, but always in 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 context of His Word, never contradicting His Word. And Chad, it has been painful. I mean, uh, and as we look at this, you know, we we believe personally, we'll get it out front. We don't believe uh, that we believe there were some huge mistakes made with regard to not only what Lonnie Frisbee was doing, but also with how he was handled. You know, but we do believe that there were sincere men of God that loved the Lord that grew through those times, like Chuck Smith and so forth, and uh, were used by God uh, to kind of what the enemy meant for evil, to teach the word and, and stabilize a lot of those who'd become, uh, who professed faith at that time. You know, the other, last night actually, uh, I was praying with my wife, and uh, and uh, she saw tears streaming down my cheeks, and and she's like, is everything okay? You know, and I'll get teary sometimes when I pray, and she's like, everything okay? And I'm like, yeah, and I was got... I go, yeah, it's just really heavy what I'm studying lately, and she knows what I'm studying. And I said, it's really hard to parse because 
uh, I said it's, it's it's hard because there's so many people being deceived. There's so many uh, professing believers that just want to line up on one thing or another and don't really want to look at the hard facts. And that's what we're going to do in this episode is we're going to check things out because, as I said, there's two extremes, and and we need to recognize that. Uh, uh, well, how could Lonnie do all these things if God wasn't using him? Are you serious? I mean, the scriptures tell us over and over again to beware of false prophets. And uh, and when we see what he was into, I mean, even before he was professing to do all these things, he uh, at Chuck Smith's church originally, there was things going on before he ever ended up ended up at Calvary Chapel. He was already using hypnotism, practicing hypnotism on people. He was already doing a bunch of LSD and continue to do that in the name of Christ. I mean, I'd been on LSD before I was a Christian, and man, you you get taken over. It's it's a very demonic drug, and the Bible condemns it as, as pharmakeia. Uh, he was involved in the occult heavily. He was into uh, uh, into mysticism, reading Edgar Cayce and so forth, mixing that with his supposed Christianity. He had a hybrid going on, and he was into homosexuality, you know? There's a lot of things going on, and if all that just stopped and he repented and he was right with God, and then he was crying out to the Lord— that would be one thing, but he carries a lot of this into his supposed ministry for Christ, which really convolutes the whole thing. I think this is important to understand because when we see him wielding what he was claiming to be the power of the Holy Spirit, we see phenomena that is definitely not biblical. You never see people commanding the Holy Spirit, yelling, screaming at the Holy Spirit, fall! You know, we don't do that to the Holy Spirit, man. And we don't see people being slain in the Spirit. We never see believers being slain in the Spirit by the Holy Spirit, uncontrollably falling down and rolling around and, and, and doing you know crazy things. John Wimber, who he was under and was became his partner years after Chuck, said he saw people as a result of this kind of behavior uh, being levitated, you know, off the ground several feet and slammed into walls and so forth. And this is not the power of the Holy Spirit. And when you look at what Lonnie was into, it's, it, it, it wasn't like there's this clean slate here of a guy that was just or or a guy that just repented of everything and got right with God. And then all of a sudden he's full of the Spirit. We're not talking about the activity of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says, test everything, hold fast that which is good. And Chad, uh, Jesus said, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves, you know? And he says, you'll know them by their fruit. And there's a lot of division and all kinds of strange stuff that came through Lonnie. And that's where it's hard, to, a little bit harder to parse when we look at the Jesus movement itself. I believe there was, God was drawing a lot of those hippies to Christ. And I have no doubt because many of those hippies that came to Christ. Jesus' movement was way bigger than than Lonnie Frisbee. He was one of the people that was integral here in California. There's people coming to Christ all over the place before Lonnie professed faith. And Lonnie came along and he became a major factor. But Jesus, after he said that in Matthew, Jesus says, and this is very important that we understand this, folks, because you can do all kinds of signs in Jesus' name, but not be of him. In fact, Jesus went on to warn after he warned about false prophets coming in his name. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of God. He went on to say, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now, Joe, one of the things that, you know, especially in the reading of that scripture, because when we think about it, this episode is Lonnie Frisbee, the false prophet of the Jesus Revolution. And you just read from Matthew 7, 21 through 23. And in Matthew, that same context, Matthew 7, verse 15, tells us how we are to not only beware of false prophets, but it tells us how to identify them. And it's actually by their fruit that you will know them. 
And so, Joe, when we're thinking about this and Lonnie specifically in this context, what are some of maybe some of the occult leanings that maybe people don't understand that Lonnie actually did have to where we could say, hey, that's actually the fruit of a false prophet and not a true prophet of God? Yeah, we read in uh, Acts chapter 8, we read about a guy by the name of Simon. He was Simon the sorcery and using occult power to do to, to do things, and especially if you're claiming it to be for God, is called simony. And, and Simon was a sorcerer, and he wanted to buy the Holy Spirit. And Peter said, you you and your money perish together, basically to hell with you and your money, uh, because he wanted power for the sake of power. Lonnie was into Timothy Leary, and he mixed a lot of the stuff he got involved in in regard to the occult with his Christianity. And where that ends and where that ever stops is hard to know. Timothy Leary was a follower of the Satanist Lester Crowley. Frisbee says in his autobiography, not by miter, by power, he says, I was chopping acid on the weekends and having all kinds of hallucinations. I got involved in a drug cult in Laguna Beach called Mystic Arts, which was part of the widespread organization of psychedelic acid heads under Timothy Leary and the Brotherhood. We dealt LSD to other high school kids and junior high kids. So it's interesting, Chad, long before Lonnie was hailed as this Christian evangelist, he was already an evangelist under occult power, uh, connected to Timothy Leary, and he was actually leading people by the hundreds, he said, to take LSD and various drugs. When I first turned on the drugs, I thought that was the truth, so I turned everybody on the drugs. When I first turned on the drugs, I thought that was the truth, so I turned everybody on the drugs. One of the things about in Jesus Revolution, actually, they they show this clip of Timothy Leary. And, you know, sadly enough, there's a ton of music in there that was very, uh, it was really hard. That was one of the difficult things with watching the film is it's great to have memories of coming to Christ. Maybe some people that came to Christ during the Jesus movement. But to see that music from that era being played over and over and people getting those memories back in their head, it kind of hurt my heart. Because I know when I came to Christ through They Sold Their Souls for Rock and Roll, if you guys haven't seen that, please, before you watch anything from Good Fight Ministries, watch They Sold Their Souls for Rock and Roll. But, you know, when you see that, you see the effect. Obviously, Timothy Leary says, and you quote him, talking about, and not even quote him, you listen to Timothy Leary say it in They Sold Their Souls for Rock and Roll, that he is wishes that a Lester Crowley, the father of modern-day Satanism, he wishes that he was still around to see the glories that he started. And so many people don't realize that when it comes to Lester Crowley, the effect he had on, like, the 60s, the effect he had on the hippie movement. And he was a Satanist, pure Satanist. Pure right. Satanist. He said that he simply went over to Satan's side, and to this hour I cannot tell why. And that is written in his autobiography, Confessions of a Lester Crowley. So he was even writing at that time, I actually believe the doctrine of the Plymouth Brethren. I believe the scriptures and what it said, but I simply went over to Satan's side. He said he wanted to be Satan's chief of staff. All these people that make up lies and say, oh, Crowley, he was just following this or that and cosmic nonsense. No, that dude really did believe in Satan. Don't be fooled. But the effect he had on people, on the drug culture, all of yeah. that being pushed, he was doing it long before anyone else was. And when you look at the Beatles putting him on Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Heart Cub Band, yeah, right. when you see his saying, do what thou wilt on Led Zeppelin's tracks, I mean, and over John and Lennon over quoted, again. John do what thou wilt, saying that was a whole Beatle philosophy. The whole Beatle philosophy was do what thou wilt. And then you see Timothy Leary, which was interesting. That was one of the more interesting things, at least in Jesus' Revolution, is to see that effect. They have him, you know, Janis Joplin you know, is playing music, and then Timothy Leary is talking. You see how these prophets of their day were using music and then bringing forth this message with Timothy Leary coming up, telling them, you know, to tune in and drop out or whatever. And you're like, wow, look at the effect it's having. 
and it seemingly had on Lonnie Frisbee, and he seems to have brought some of that stuff right on into the church. Yeah, definitely. Uh, with Lonnie, he claimed to be a disciple of Leary, who was a disciple of Crowley, so he's basically uh, indirectly getting the Crowley stuff as a youngster. With Lonnie, again, if he made a break with that, that was just so clear, but he was mixing this mysticism with his professed Christianity, baptizing people, you know, and everything else while they were while he was in LSD and they're on LSD without repentance. Jesus said, if you don't repent, you'll all likewise perish, you know. Jesus said, preach repentance for the remission of sins in Luke 24 as part of the Great Commission. So a lot of these people are getting zapped, they're falling down. They haven't repented, they haven't experienced, and many of them, many of these supposed converts went right back into the world later. In fact, many of Lonnie's biggest advocates admit that many of the people that supposedly got saved then, later, most of them, some will say, even fell away. In fact, Chad, we have a clip right here that we show when they sold their souls for rock and roll. Uh, with Timothy Leary basically saying that Crowley was the one that, you know, he's completing his mission, and the 60s were a reflection of what was going on there. Let's watch that clip. On a PBS interview, Timothy Leary let his hair down and admitted that he was carrying on Satanist Aleister Crowley's work and that the 1960s is when the plan began to come to fruition. Well, I've been an admirer of Aleister Crowley. I think that uh, I'm carrying on much of the work that... uh, he started uh, over 100 years ago, and I think the 60s themselves. You know, Crowley said uh, um, he was in favor of, uh, of uh, finding your own self and, and uh, uh, do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law under love. It was a very powerful statement. I'm sorry he isn't around now to appreciate the glories that he started. Yeah, so people don't understand that part of the coming counterfeit revival that comes under the Antichrist is going to be a mixture of a lot of things, and they're going to seek to bring as many Christians into it as possible. But it's kind of interesting because Crowley was talking about the coming new eon. And in this new eon, uh, which he said was the eon of the beast or the Antichrist, Horus, a lot of it was getting people into hallucinogens, getting people into things that would open them up to the demonic world. In fact, the Bible, as you know, Chad, five times in the New Testament, the word pharmakeia is used of sorcery or magic. Uh, But four of those five times, it's used in Revelation. They don't know exactly how to translate that word because the word has the connotation of drugs, so it's translated druggings dopings, but most translations translated witchcraft, sorcery, magic, because it's using uh, magic or it's using sorcery through drugs to open someone up as they get in an altered state of consciousness where you don't have your spiritual discernment antenna up open to the demonic world. In fact, Aleister Crowley understood. He, he tried, taught the tree of knowledge of good and evil was a picture of uh, opening yourself up to the satanic realm. He channeled a spirit named Iwas, which he later identified as Satan himself in his book called The Book of the Law. And uh, you know, as those channeling Satan, saying to take these strange drugs to worship Satan. In fact, I quote, I am the snake that giveth knowledge and delight and bright glory and stir the hearts of men with drunkenness. To worship me, take wine and strange drugs, wherever I will tell my prophet and be drunk thereof. Albert Hoffman, who discovered LSD, he said he became possessed by, what is it? he had the sensation of being possessed by a demon spirit. He calls, he goes into it. He was terrified because he's very cognizant that the spirit had overtaken him. Well, Lonnie is getting into these drugs and everything else. A lot of people that are fans of Lonnie Frisbee and so forth, or people that just have genuine questions, genuine brothers are like, man, how did this all work? It seems like a lot of the very things, the very means he was using, very mystical things that he was doing, even as a Christian, quote unquote, he was doing that long before for the devil's work. And we're not talking about a baseball player who's playing baseball and then people are paying attention to him. So now he's sharing the gospel through the fact that he's still a good baseball player. He just loves Jesus now. But these are actually the methods, it seems, that he somewhat used not only in these mystical ways, but also even when he 
came forth and proclaimed, many people believed he was a prophet of the Jesus Revolution. Yeah, it's, it's quite crazy as we un, un, unveil the evidence. It's, it's kind of interesting. I want That makes me want to go back, Chad, to the fact that he said he was part of a drug cult in Laguna Beach called Mystic Arts. These are his own words. We've documented, I've already read the entire quote. So it's quite interesting when he was involved in the Mystic Arts cult, to whatever degree he was involved, uh, he states that uh, his involvement entailed passing out LSD to a bunch of people uh, as far as what he was trying to do to get the message out that LSD is how you find God. I think he was very confused. And a lot of the questions is whether he, whether he was a purposeful deceiver. I personally lean toward that he was, about, Paul talks about those who are deceiving and being deceived. I think on some level, uh, he was trying to mesh the two together. The mystic arts world was the group that was basically opened up by Timothy Leary. Okay, and this is important to understand. This was the biggest drug cartel in the United States of America. They worked with the Hells Angels. They worked with others to get acid, LSD, other drugs throughout the, throughout the United States to promote this, this Crowleyan doctrine of opening yourself up to the demonic world through hallucinogens and so forth. In fact, the mystic arts world was known for their especially potent LSD that would just really trip you out and open you up to these entities. And it was called Orange Sunshine. So, Joe, we're seeing all this. We're seeing him talk about, you know, doing these very things when he was obviously a non-believer. But there, is there any evidence that he was actually still doing some of these things like LSD and so forth? Was he actually doing them and yet claiming to be born again as well? Oh, he was claiming to be a Christian evangelist. He was going uh, evangelizing uh, people and he would give them drugs. He'd give them LSD. Uh, and then he would claim to be following Christ. And then he would be on LSD, and then he would baptize them while they were all on LSD, not repenting of their, I mean, very, very illicit drug use and hippie ways as the Crowleyanism was being mixed with Christianity. So we drove out to Talkwitz Falls, and we hiked up. He wanted to go to the very top fall. And once we got there, he, he opened his backpack, and he spread out, and he had LSD, and he had marijuana, and he had all of his oil paints, and he proceeded to paint a picture of Jesus on the rock, a full-sized picture of Jesus on the rock. Then he pulled out his Bible, and he got kind of in a yoga position, and he says, we're going to read the Bible now. He was reading about John the Baptist and how John the Baptist baptized, and he baptized us up at Talkwitz Falls, even though we were all on drugs, even though we were all on drugs. Joe, when I see that clip, and you're like, whoa, these guys are still popping acid and are dropping acid and then going to get baptized. You know, I'm sure people are going to ask, like, are you saying that people weren't really getting saved and broken out of the bondage of these drugs during the Jesus movement? That sounds ridiculous. Yeah. And what we say to that is that's the other extreme. Right here, we're going to show a clip where I think it's very clear. We can show you tons of footage like this. Hippies that came out of the occult, came out of drugs, came out of the whole so-called free sex thing, all the stuff that Lester Crowley pushed. And we're taking a stand for Jesus. In fact, you're going to see some of them right here, basically standing in front of an occult center called the Mystic Eye, telling people to stay away from the occult and it's of the devil. The Bible says that the devil is real and is like a lion walking to and fro, seeking whom he may devour. And instead of the devil, there is a living God who loves us and is not trying to ruin us, but who loves us and wants to take us to be where he is. Right on. And this place here represents what the world has in its worst form. Magic, sorcery, 
divination, which the Bible declares are works from the devil. Wow. Well, you know, I praise God for that. You know, you're getting to see people actually, because God does that. He breaks the bondage. He, he, he breaks the chains of bondage that so many people have. I know for yourself, I know that's true for myself. I 100% that's true. The bondage that alcohol and fighting and pride all had in my life, that he was able to break those that bondage. So that's what we Great see God. in salvation. Amen. And so you see that somebody's a new creation in Christ. It's not like, oh, I need to have this connection with God by dropping acid. No, I have this connection with God because the Holy Spirit now lives in me. And by the way, the Holy Spirit goes out and convicts the world of sin. One of those things that is sin is the very fruit of the flesh, which is the practicing of pharmakeia. So you have people with the Holy Spirit. Now they have the strength to fight against these drugs and against alcohol that once enslaved them. So it's beautiful to actually see that. But in light of Frisbee, as what the, you know, Lonnie, who we're talking about here, in terms of his involvement with Timothy Leary and that stuff, how, how does that all play out ultimately? Well, actually, at this juncture, when he was claimed to be, he went basically as a full-time evangelist, he went to Ted Weiss's uh, uh, commune, which was there working the streets of Haight-Ashbury, uh, and the commune there, and he became full-time. And it's interesting because it was at that time where he admits that he was still even doing LSD at that time. And by the way, keep in mind, LSD. Wait, while he's an evangelist, he's oh, yeah. doing LSD. Oh, yeah, so. he's a full-time wow. evangelist, and he's doing LSD uh, off and on at, at the very least, and he acknowledged that. Uh, in fact, it's interesting because Dave Wilkerson, to show you that real work was being done for the gospel at this time, uh, Dave Wilkerson, a Pentecostal pastor who wrote The Cross the Switchblade, had delivered people from the gangs of New York to Christ. Pretty powerful testimony with Nikki Cruz and so forth. And all that was going on. Uh, he was on the streets there, and he went to that particular commune where Frisbee's at and did a movie called The The Runaway Generation. And Frisbee actually shows up in that movie, and he's looking at this place, and he's having a really hard time because he's leading people to Christ. Their, their group, there's a lot of the ex-hippies bringing people to Christ, but he sees that they're giving a message where people can still be involved in uh, doing LSD and everything. In fact, he's interviewing some of the people, which we're going to see in this next clip who he talks about how you guys are telling me you're reading the book of Revelation when you're on acid, reading the book of Revelation. And he actually gets very upset, tells him he's angry at one point because you're leaving these people basically dead in their sins because they're not repenting. What we think is that everybody, everybody should accept the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and right. be Amen. saved. Right. And then quit their habits, Jesus quit their LSD. Not We're not going right. to but you that, fellas, but the Lord say that. You hey, fellas told me you went out and took LSD and read the book of Revelation. Now, I'm getting a little angry because... I can I go out in the street preaching that Christ delivers, and you guys uh, are out here preaching can you, that you can, can you, smoke pot, you can take LSD, and I think that's a permissive can you, statement that's right, going to damn right. the lives of uh, thousands of our teenagers. I hope, I hope all of you have noticed that I talk about God, and this gentleman talks about drugs. You're talking about using them. I'm talking about no, being cured from them. Reverend Wilkerson, you seem to be quite angry. I, I think so. I, I'm tired of these Bob Dylan preachers and Norm Mailer kind of ministers who go around the streets telling these kids that they can have all this in Jesus too. They can smoke pot, they can take LSD. And, and I have 23 cents for narcotic addicts and they call me, uh, they talk about love and they're ready to slap me in the face. And that's the trouble with Haight-Ashbury. We need more ministers down there preaching a, uh, that these kids can clean up. These kids, they aren't cleaning up anybody. I think sometimes they're indulging as much as anybody else. Wow, you know, I have to say, I watched that Wilkerson clip before, and I thought it was really powerful, and I think, honestly, it does tell us a lot about what we're going to be dealing with, too. I think there's a foreshadowing of so many argumentations that are going to be happening in the church right now, especially with the legalization of certain drugs, specifically marijuana, legalization right now of different hallucinogenic drugs that are going on. This is coming to the church. This is something that was happening 
in the 60s. It's going to happen again. As well as homosexuality. It's all here. And the homosexuality, 100%. It's just coming back and again. And Lonnie's life is being used by the LGBTQ community, community to bring, as a kind of a crowbar, to bring it in. I was encouraged by watching that and seeing that Dave really did stand up for what the scriptures really teach about this, what true repentance is. Dave that, Wilkerson, that, yeah. Dave Wilkerson, the changing of the heart and the mind, which leads to a change of action. And this is something where you don't think I need to drop acid and smoke pot because it's groovy or whatever they were saying there. And so we look at this, Joe, and this around this time also, because you've talked about different aspects of Lonnie's life, you know, pre-born again experience, as he would claim he had, and then after. And at this time he was... He was married. It was around this time he was married, correct? Yeah, uh, he got married and he was with his girlfriend or his wife, Connie, at that time at the Nevada uh, Commune. Uh, and it was at this time, I mean, that was a struggle. He had confessed to her uh, that he was gay uh, when he proposed to her. And uh, he was involved. And it's important that people understand this because it shows you uh, how serious sexual sin is. It just breaks your heart. Uh, stay away from all sexual sin. It's just incredibly destructive because he was molested, he says, as young as eight years old, by a male babysitter that would sit him on his lap and stroke his hair and molested him for a long period of time. He was molested by other males, at least two other guys after mm. that. And then he would actually himself, you know, orientate toward uh, homosexuality, although he said deep down he knew he wasn't gay, but he struggled with an attraction to men. He actually let her know that he was gay, but she said that he said that he was delivered from homosexuality when they married. When Lonnie asked me to marry him at that particular time is when he told me that he was gay. He didn't say it as though he was still gay, but that, that he had been saved out of that lifestyle. That's interesting for a couple of the reasons, Joe. And one of the things in the Jesus Revolution, in the movie, it seems like that's kind of hinted at. I mean, you have, you have this situation where he admits that he was doing every kind of drug and he was doing every... Buddy, everyone, yeah. So you kind of see that, and he it does mention it Which as mean male and female, right? male and female, yeah. and it does mention it in a past tense. So this yeah. is something that he was doing and he's no longer doing. But is that is that actually accurate historically? When people are looking up Lonnie Frisbee, who millions of people have seen this film, and all kinds of people are saying, "Who is this Lonnie Frisbee?" They're going to the Wikipedia page, and guess what they're reading? Frisbee functioned as an evangelical preacher while also privately socializing as a gay man before and during. His evangelism career. Both of the denominations he helped to found, which was Calvary Chapel and Vineyard, prohibited homosexual behavior. And he was later excommunicated by the denominations, meaning both Calvary and Vineyard, because of his active sexual life, first removing him from leadership positions and then ultimately firing him. As far as what Wikipedia states there, that both of them excommunicated him and then firing him because of his homosexual activity. Uh, that's at least half right, because we see that going on with the Vineyard for sure. Whether that's why uh, Chuck Smith and Calvary Chapel had stated, you know, had had let him go, uh, you know, at least once, if that was part of the case. I know his wife was having a hard time with regard to him not showing her affection. And it's kind of interesting in the movie, besides Greg Laurie and his girlfriend, uh, it, Lonnie and his wife are the next two next couple that you see being very lovey-dovey. They, they make a point of trying to make it look like they're affectionate when she had a hard time because there was time where he would not even hold her hand, you know? Uh, and it's almost as though they're trying to whitewash that whole deal there. But it does come out in the movie that she's not getting attention from him. Well, yeah, he had a problem, right? Even in his biography, 
Isn't there something to be said there where he talks about a mixture of Christianity and the rainbow? And a lot of people might wonder, oh, is that homosexuality? What What is Christianity and the rainbow? What could he be talking about there? Yeah, so again, we have this hybrid of Christianity mixed with mysticism uh, and, you know, the so-called free love movement and everything. And he said in his biography, and by the way, Rainbow was influenced by Timothy Leary's doctrines. In fact, uh, he acknowledged that in his autobiography. In fact, I'll quote him right now. It was a mixture of Christianity and Rainbow. The Rainbow Movement, a vague mixture of Timothy Leary's LSD cult and the free love, world peace, hippie philosophy, caught people off guard. And all that Rainbow from the pit stuff can really confuse people. And actually, Chad, it's kind of interesting because this their official name was the Rainbow Family of Living Light. And it's interesting because this group didn't actually start until 1970, which was about, you know, a couple years after he was actually working with Chuck Smith. But it's interesting because that movement, uh, one of the color, most color, it was a family of different eclectic hippies from different backgrounds that got together and they, you know, the whole rainbow thing, which later we know that became a big part of the, the gay movement using the rainbow that actually God used to promise he wouldn't bring judgment in the world life, since the world life fled again. Uh, the most prominent group as far as the colors and everything, most flamboyant group, was called the fairies in, in, the, in the rainbow group there. And the fairies were homosexuals who uh, got their start from Harry Hay. And he was an older hippie because he was going after the young meat. He's going after the young kids, the, the young boys. And the fairies came off of his deal. He's, Harry Hay is the founder of the modern-day gay liberation movement and actually happened to promote, you know— North American Man-Boy Love Association. North American yeah. Man-Boy Love Association— he walks in a, in a gay parade with a placard of that promoting sex between men and boys. I guess that's where we have to ask the question, you know, how did how did he get linked up with Chuck Smith, of all people? Yeah, so uh, Chuck meets him in 1968. Uh, he sees that he's very infectious, very charismatic, claims to have gifting. Chuck sees that he's magnetic. As they bring out in the movie, and I do believe Chuck was sincere. I believe he had some blind spots like all of us do, but I believe... Uh, Chuck had some blind spots regarding Frisbee because Chuck had longed to uh, see people come to Christ. But when he met Lonnie Frisbee and wanted to you know, meet this real hippie, uh, and he realized, oh, this guy is claiming to be a Christian. And wow, he seems very infectious. He's, he has a sense of magnetism to where he draws people. Yeah, he did. But where was that from, right? And, uh, and that's when he was still on all this, in the, a lot of this weird stuff. So Chuck wants to team up with him. He dresses up, you know, when he's visiting Kathleen Coleman on her show. We have Chuck Smith uh, there as well. He talks about how people say, I look like Jesus. He talks about he grew his hair longer to look, you know, look like that. And then we also hear him elsewhere talking about how he would wear, you know, use wear a robe and wear a shepherd's staff. There's, we talk about a, a wolf in sheep's clothing, if that's what he is. He's literally trying to look the, the part of the shepherd and so forth. And we're talking about him getting what there to Chuck's about 18 years old when he's, I mean, he's a young guy experienced a lot of life. He's been, you know, experienced a whole lot of life. And and again, my heart absolutely breaks for him when I think about him. It's been very, very sad because I look at this guy and uh, he's molested at eight, you know, right? And he goes through all these things. So he's in this this tailspin, trying to make heads of tails of what what's right. But man, he lived such, so much life so fast. Now he's with Chuck Smith and, and he looks at it, his opportunity uh, basically to basically be a prophet. But He's basically a prophet of a different spirit, as we're going to see more and more. Let's check out this clip. The people tell me that I'm trying to look like Jesus. I can't think of anybody else I'd rather look like. (laughs) So I had a little uh, taste for the flamboyant, so I got a staff, you know. 
And I, I immediately started to grow my hair a little bit longer than it was, so I grew my hair down to here. I grew a long beard. You know, I, I couldn't tell a secret after the sixth grade. And I I just had a full beard, at, you know, at an early age. And so I, I really looked like Isaiah's grandson. <laughs> and I was pastoring at Calvary at the age of 19, but they never knew how old I was because I looked like I was just come out of a cave. I wore St. Francis of Assisi shirts with hoods on them and wore a robe and things like that. Wow, Joe. I mean, some of those things, especially, man, I know we're going to be getting on this in our series on the New Apostolic Reformation and some of the dangers there, but the ecumenism. And then you see, obviously, with Catherine Coleman, who discipled none other than Arc heretic Benny Hinn. I mean, guy who's done him and Kenneth Copeland and that bunch have done probably more damage to the gospel of Jesus Christ than right. most modern day false prophets. But, but nonetheless, we see that, and you see that ecumenism with Catherine Coleman, who would put up thirty or forty priests in the front row, so everyone could know uh, nuns and priests. Everyone know they're part. Oh, we're, they're part of us too. We're all together ecumenically. Also, she had met Pope John Paul, and what did she say? Oh, that they. She gave, she got a blessing from him and that they were actually one. And you see this ecumenism. And, and did you see that also? Obviously, when you were in the, hearing these clips of Lonnie talking about he's like a seer, a seeing prophet, he's a seer, yeah. like these, we wouldn't understand, us Protestants wouldn't understand. Yeah. You know, really, the only ones who really understand are the Catholic mystics. I mean, this ecumenism is that, obviously, it looks like that's something Lonnie was into. Yeah. And folks, you really need to pay attention to what we're saying here is Lonnie saw himself as a mystic in the form of like Roman Catholicism. These guys are mediums, man. The Roman Catholic mystics were, were would channel things supposedly from God or the saints. And he's actually categorized himself with them. That's not Christianity, folks. In fact, uh, he would say he's a seer. He's a, he basically looked at himself as an apostle and that he wore, uh, he would actually wear a clerical collar, you know, like looking like a priest and came to be known as Father Lonnie with some people. In fact, let's check out this clip. Next brother I'd like to call up has become a very close friend of mine, and we've been able to share and laugh and just have a good time in the Lord, and just be able to, I think, be an encouragement to one to another, and uh, watch God work in a special way. I'd like him to come up and share right now. Brother Lonnie, would you come on up, brother? Amen. Let's give him a big set free. Yeah. This is Father Lonnie. Lonnie. Calling is apostolic in nature. I am a seeing prophet. That means that uh, I have experienced in my mind what the Catholics call uh, infused prayer with God. And mystics experience this. And it's called infused prayer with God. Us Protestants don't know about any of that because it comes out of Catholic theology. But I am a mystic, and I experience infused prayer with God, and I'm a seer, and the Lord will go. And you'll show me things in the Spirit that are more real than what's happening in front of me. Yeah, and Chad and uh, brothers and sisters in the Lord, it gets even crazier from there. He actually made a leather mantle, and he believed that this mantle had supernatural power. They put it over people uh, so they would speak in tongues and so forth. And none of this is in the Bible. You could, this, is, this is so unbiblical. And uh, if you're just looking at all the stuff, he does say, oh, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. 
Uh, I pray that God gives you discernment to understand the Bible says, test the spirit, see whether it's from God, put on the whole armor of God and, and, and so forth. And the Bible warns about a lot of deception going on in the last days and a certain counterfeit spirit that would bring a lot of people together in the name of Christ and ultimately lead them to the Antichrist kingdom. And that's what we see uh, because he identified himself with many of these false prophets, with pretty much all these false prophets that we have exposed through the years that are into the charismania, giving false prophecies and, and so forth. So it's quite interesting. He he would wear this mantle he made out of deer skin, and he actually would take a concoction of oil uh, mixed and, and actually mix it with a witch's brew, okay? Uh, this is crazy. I mean, he would actually take a recipe right out of the book of Exodus, and when he would do that, he was actually for, he is actually forbidden by Scripture to do that. In fact, I have the verse right here in Exodus chapter 30, verse 32. It says, It must never be used to anoint anyone else other than the priest there, and you must never make any blend like it for yourselves. It is holy, and you must treat it as holy. And that's one thing we see with Lonnie Frisbee. There's a lot of time there's no distinction between that which is holy and that which is profane. We see that with a lot of those who came out of the Jesus movement. Not all of them, as I said, there were a lot of genuine believers that came out of that movement, thank you, Jesus. But a lot of them didn't repent. They didn't make a distinction. With Lonnie, he, we're talking about his occultic background, and this is letting you know this kind of stuff we're talking about. It wasn't just the drugs he continued in for some time, right? But it was also uh, occult-type practices. And he's taking this oil from the Old Testament, and he's mixing into it witch's hazel, uh, which is to make like a, a an occult-type potion. Uh, at best, this is witchcraft, and that's really, really bad. In fact, he said he got the idea from the occultist Edgar Casey, who was called the Sleeping Prophet, who was very popular in the 60s because he would go into trances and demons would channel through him information. And some of the information that was given to him by demons was to use witches' hazel for healing and so forth. So what happens is, guess what he does? He's influenced by Edgar Casey, and he puts witches' hazel into his oil, which is forbidden to even make the oil. And now he's got this witches' brew, and he's using it to carry this anointing. Tell me that's the Holy Spirit, folks. That's not from God, guys. And this isn't, this is, we're seeing this over and over again with him. The kind of stuff that he was doing isn't found in the scripture and the things he's associating himself with are in, are not in the scripture. And here we hear from his own words how he was doing this practice. I didn't like the, the blankets they were using, so I got a deer skin <laughs> to be my mantles. And I painted a picture of Jesus on it and I wore it like a cake. So when I would pray for people and the Spirit of God would come on them, I'd take off my cape and throw the mantle over the top of them like this. When the ministry started getting good, I had to get two leathers. Then I read in the Old Testament how there was an anointing oil and, and that God gave a recipe for, so I, I got a big old wine bottle, old one with cork in it, and I got some olive oil from the Holy Lands. I poured it in this wine bottle, and I got a cinnamon stick and put that in there. Got a frankincense and myrrh, put that in there, you know, a little Catholic flavor. And then I had also, before I had been turned my life over to the Lord, I had been reading a little Edgar Casey, and he put witch hazel in everything that he gave, so I put witch hazel in it too, just for good measure, and I shook it up, and I aged it, and then I, I had a, a deer skin bag that I carried my Bible in that was covered with an animal skin, and I carried my bottle of anointing oil. To see that, to see this witch's brew he's getting from Edgar Casey, and 
I mean, it it really is. I mean, guys, this is serious. As Joe mentioned, this is not something like, oh, you know, he's just doing this by the Spirit. And people are asking questions, real legitimate questions, like, Wait, how does God work through this and so forth? You also need to see where the enemy might be at work here, especially Joe. And this was one of the things I probably was most surprised of when looking into Lonnie Frisbee and some of the stuff that he was into. Uh, it's almost a situation where it's like before Benny Hinn was, there was Lonnie Frisbee yeah. in the terms of the slang and the spirit. Sadly enough, it's been a thing mocked over and over again. And this is not just Benny Hinn, but Peter Popoff and so forth. All, a lot of these guys with this yeah. uh, with this stuff. But a lot of the videos that have been made online of them, you know, you know, acting like lightsabers or whatever it may be, yeah. they're slaying all these people and slapping on the spirit. Seems like Lonnie Frisbee was doing that long before Benny Hinn was. Yeah, and I think you got a lot of this from a Catherine Coleman, uh, who he just you know basically put on a huge pedestal, uh, and she was doing that behavior, and she was uh, she was among the first faith healers that was actually doing that. Uh, and it's interesting that when you look at what he was into, he was into before he was, you know, with Chuck, he was into hypnotism and hypnotizing people, practicing that all kinds of weird stuff. And I will say this though, uh, Chuck did. And he, he says later, he says that Chuck straightened out a lot of his weirdness, you know. Uh, so there may have been a time where he stopped putting witch's hazel in his oil. I don't know. We do know before he was even professing Christ. This should be interest to you as if you're a discerning person, you should say, whoa, that's crazy. He was actually laying people on the ground, whether it's through his hypnotic powers, which may be occult powers or other occult type practices. He was laying people on the ground, slaying them, not in the Holy Spirit, right, but by the powers of darkness prior to him claiming to be a Christian where he was still molding a lot of this stuff together. In fact, in Canon John uh, Gunstone's book, it's titled Meeting John Wimber. Gunstone writes on page 55 of his book, even before he became a Christian, he could make such things happen. Talking about making people late, uh, fall down and so forth. So I think this is very, very interesting because we're talking about uh, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. This is not a gift that he had from the Holy Spirit. And again, you don't see in the Word of God, anywhere in Scripture, uh, the Holy Spirit zapping believers and knocking them down where they roll in control of it and they start speaking in tongues. It's not a phenomenon you see in the scripture, but you know where it is a phenomenon? It's a phenomenon you see over and over again in the occult, in, in the powers of darkness, whether it's the kundalini spirit or what have you, where people get zapped, they fall down, uh, sometimes they speak in tongues, they have esoteric experiences and so forth. And he was laboring, it appears, under a very, very different spirit. The Bible warns in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, we're warned as believers not to receive a different spirit. And then it's really very important that we we understand this. In fact, Paul says, I, I, I'm concerned that you're, you'd be deceived even as the serpent beguiled Eve through a subtlety, that you might receive a different gospel, different Jesus, and a different spirit. And he goes on to say, for Satan comes as an angel of light a little bit further down in that chapter, uh, and that his ministers transform themselves into ministers of righteousness. So, Joe, we obviously see Catherine Coleman here. We see... You know, Lonnie Frisbee and Catherine Coleman. And Catherine Coleman herself, like when we're talking about her, a lot of people may not know who she is anymore. Yeah. Maybe some of the older crowd might, but a lot of the people on our show may not have any idea who Catherine Coleman is. But, but as soon as we say, hey, she discipled none other than Benny Hinn, people go, oh, okay, yeah. well, now we're seeing something here. But how influential, I guess, and maybe we can get in a little bit of who Catherine Coleman is too, but how influential really was she uh, when it comes to Lonnie Frisbee, how much did she really influence him? Yeah, it's crazy. So when you understand that he didn't dedicate his autobiography, three three books, he didn't dedicate it to Chuck Smith or John Wimber even. He dedicated it to Catherine Coleman. I mean, get in there before you get to the contents. Dedicated to Catherine Coleman. 
And he's, and when you mentioned that Benny Hinn looks at her as a hero of his faith, uh, and you start to see who Catherine Coleman is, guys, and she's pretty creepy, uh, you start to get an idea of, well, this is what he was into. This is what he gravitated to. Uh, he went to the Shrine Auditorium over and over again in L.A. to, to see her and speak and so forth. And he believed in some ways he carried her mantle. In fact, let me quote from what he says about her. This unusual and unique woman taught me about the Holy Spirit. She is my absolute hero of the faith. Now, it's interesting because Catherine Coleman, bro, uh, man, she is uh, so spooky. She was involved in scandal after scandal. He spent a ton of money. I mean, equivalent to what would be $5,000 a dress now. And she had all kinds of these dresses, uh, spent a ton of money on that. But not only involved in financial scandals, but she was involved in sexual scandals. She was a pastor of two different churches when hardly any women were violating 1 Timothy 2 back then. She had a church of 2,000 in Denver. And all of a sudden, she started a relationship with a man who divorced his wife and left her and the two children to get together with her. And he ends up uh, marrying her. She announces that we're teaming up in ministry uh, to her church at Denver. And all kinds of the people, uh, you know, people start leaving, crying, weeping, leaving the stage of the, the choir behind her because they realized, oh, you know, Lord God, you know, this woman who we were believing in is involved in these sexual scandals. Later on, after living with this man for some time, she said that she wasn't even married. She says, oh, I wasn't really married. I didn't marry this guy. I fainted at the altar, you know, so I didn't really, I didn't really hear the vows. I fainted. And then a reporter shows her, you know, her, her signature on the wedding application. She says, oh, I don't even remember doing that. You know, she was a liar and she was a false prophetess. In fact, we have uh, false prophecies documented that she's made. She definitely wasn't from the Lord. In fact, she even made a prophecy, Chad, about the Lord's return that didn't come back. She claimed to be like under the divine inspiration and understanding the word of prophecy. And she states that the young people that were in her audience, that they were the last youth generation uh, that would be alive. It would be the last youth generation before the great tribulation began. It's quite crazy because when you think about it, uh, the generation you know X is not the last generation. Tribulation didn't come. Then there's generation Y has come. And now they've grown up. Now we've got generation Z as they're called. And they may not be, they may be, but they may not be the last generation before the Great Tribulation. So she proved herself over and over again, and right here especially, uh, implying the Lord returned long before he actually did in this clip, claiming to be under the power of the Holy Spirit. You recognize the perfection of the Holy Ghost. I received a divine revelation that I had never received before. And that's the reason my message to you this morning is so important because things are happening. Young people, things are happening. And they're happening so quickly. That's the reason I feel it's so important that you might understand that he might use you in these closing moments of this dispensation. I had said for a long time, and I believe it was every atom of my being, I believe, or remember something in this hour of great restoration, everything that happened in the early church is being restored to the church now. Everything. And it's happening so very quickly. It's happening so fast. I believe that this is the very last youth generation before the great tribulation. I believe that. I've got to believe it, knowing the word of prophecy as I do. This is the last youth 
generation before the great tribulation sitting here in this assembly this Monday morning face it face facts face God face reality face truth you young people sitting here are the last youth generation in this dispensation wow joe i guess you know when you're seeing these false prophecies you know with all the millennials and you know the gen z's and the gen xers as you mentioned like you gotta be pretty well, what's going on what are the, all these generations doing i mean obviously yeah. she is a false prophetess there is no or was a false prophetess there's no getting around it but i guess people might ask this joe did he ever repent of his association with her? Not only association, but literally calling her a hero in his faith. Yeah, unfortunately not. Some say, yeah, he repented of his homosexuality on his deathbed. Uh, in you know, but it seems just a, just maybe three months before he actually died in 1993 on the Christmas Eve, right before 1993. I think he died in March of 1993 on Christmas Eve. He was at a meeting before he was actually laid out. He had contracted HIV in 1990 and uh, became AIDS in 1993. He died of it. Uh, but in this clip we're going to hear, he's going to be talking about how it wasn't Catherine Coleman that was doing the miracles. You know, it's God doing it and, and that they do the miracles and he's associating himself with her. He's basically saying that he took her mantle, you know, in this message. Catherine Coleman had nothing to do with these miracles of God. She's with the Lord. But anyway, she was a perfect example of some uh, how the Lord can use the weak vessel. So if a little skinny, 40, uh, 68-year-old woman could uh, move the heart of God like she did. And then I'm assured that the, her mantle has been resting on me. I see Spain. I prophesy over your team. I prophesy that level of the anointing of God, that when you go to Spain, that you will believe God for miracles, and your team will reach out and be unique in itself for what you know, and what you're going to do, and what you're going to execute, and what is in the will of God. And I prophesy the supernatural, and I prophesy the authority of a man on you. First of all, when I see this, these mantles and so forth, it reminds me so much of Chris Valentin at, yeah. at Bethel saying that they were, that God spoke to him, that he wanted the mantle of William Branham, somebody who said that the doctrine of the Trinity is of the devil. That's right. And this That's is what the we're mantle. with here, folks. And, and when I think about that too, of William Branham, and you think about him, one of the things that Chris Valentin said that God told him was that it was too, he told God actually, oh, it's too powerful. And he said, oh, we're going to pour out this mantle out into everybody. To disperse to everyone, yeah. To disperse Remember to everyone that, yeah. at Bethel. And you're like, whoa, you're kind of looking at this, but then this is kind of the language. This is the lingual, yeah. lingo. I mean, it's no wonder that the Kenneth Copelands of the world, also false heretics and word of faith teachers and so forth, that, you know, speak at Bethel. And then you see the spirit behind it, whether it's, you know, the Kansas City prophets or... I mean, all of this, it is crazy how it links up. And then you have this, this like, I don't know, it looks to me the same thing as uh, Mickey Mouse is wearing there in Fantasia with his, yeah. you know, warlock cloak, yeah. uh, you know, witch's cloak or whatever. So what is that whole thing when we see this cloak that 
that Lonnie Frisbee's wearing and a connection maybe even back to another Colmanite uh, in none other than Benny Hinn. Yeah, so the same type of behavior that you're seeing Benny Hinn do with, you know, pretending his coat has spiritual power, and if it does, it's demonic, slapping all kinds of people down, you know, uh, with his coat. Uh, that same kind of behavior was the kind of behavior that Lonnie was involved in. In fact, John Wimber, head of the Vineyard Movement that Calvary Chapel, which split with Calvary Chapel after Lonnie had come, uh, he he basically talks about how Lonnie would slap people in the head and wave his coat. People would fall down and, and they'd speak in tongues and just, just like we see with Benny Hinn. So John would speak and Lonnie would minister. They were the dynamic duo. Lonnie got up there and he waved his leather coat and... Uh, the power of God would come and people would be falling all over these, these old pews in these uh, Baptist churches. And Lonnie would start climbing over the pews and laying hands on people and he'd say, speak in tongues, speak in tongues. And he'd hit him in the forehead and they'd instantly begin to speak in tongues. So I was, I was blown away by that. Yeah, so again, you know, in our audience, you ought to know, you have to keep in mind, we had to test everything by the scripture. There's a lot of false signs and wonders. There's a lot of bizarre things going around. Like what came out of this Lonnie revival, which takes place uh, at the vineyard, uh, the uh, vineyard belonging to uh, John Wimber, which wasn't really called a vineyard then, it was called the Calvary Chapel. That became, you know, where people are laughing like hyenas, they're, they're barking like dogs, they're roaring like lions, thinking it's from God. In fact, they're actually taking some people out, trying to cast demons out of them, you know, when they're doing this behavior and they're shaking uncontrollably. Then they said, oh, this happened everywhere, it must be the Holy Spirit. The only time you see professing believers being slain in the Spirit uh, they weren't even really believers at this point. They they became apostates. Was Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter five when they lied to the Holy Spirit and they were just struck dead? Well, I don't think anybody wants to you know uh, experience that. Okay, that was God's judgment because of their wickedness. But you don't see this happening to believers or God's enemies when Jesus says, "I am," and we're not Jesus, right? And then His enemies fall down under His power. But that's not the same as what these guys are doing. Uh, they, they weren't converted through that. You know, they were judged by God to the Lord revealing his power. So it's quite interesting, Chad, because uh, Lonnie uh, would claim to hear the word of, could constantly claim God was talking to him. And then he would wonder if he was even saved, you know? Well, I can understand why, but he would claim that God was talking to him, hearing his voice all the time. And he would say goofy things like God would sing even like a secular song to him, you know? Uh, he'd say, yeah, which is just so ridiculous. And that God would sing to him songs like, you know, or a song like, uh, you know, I never promised you a rose garden. And that's what the Lord says. But it doesn't promise you a rose garden. I like that country western song, you know. I beg your pardon. <laughs> Sometimes I hear the Lord singing that to me in the spirit. I never promise you a rose garden. Yeah, Joe, one of the stories that is interesting in his autobiography is in Long Beach when he was teaching. And you have these young kids there, and they're actually scoffing at the gospel. And according to his autobiography... He does this slang, <laughs> and they all get the gift of tongues all of a sudden. These scoffers of the gospel all of a sudden receive the gift of tongues, and the entire group begins speaking the gift of tongues, which is interesting to think that when you look at the gifts, especially when you look at you know 1 Corinthians, for example, when we read the gifts, the gifts are to the church. They're for the edification of the body of Christ. That's right. And yet these are scoffers at the gospel, and yet he slays them in the spirit, so to speak. And as you mentioned, we don't find that anywhere in Scripture outside of Ananias and Sapphira slaying to death because of lying to God himself That's right. in the Holy Spirit. Or with Jesus when he says, I am, to the Roman soldiers, and they fall down. And so we see this, and this is just, I mean, weird behavior that is just found nowhere in Scripture. 
Yeah, the Bible says, you know, Jesus says that the non-believers don't have the Holy Spirit. He said that the world cannot receive the Spirit in John 14 through 16. Uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, the natural man doesn't receive the things of the Holy Spirit. So this is not actually a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Uh, he's supposedly zapping people, you know, you know, calling God to come down on them. And he's, he, you know, judging them and they fall down and they're, they're speaking in tongues and saying this is of God. We don't see that anywhere in Scripture. In fact, non-believers can't speak in tongues by the power of the Holy Spirit, and so forth. In fact, there's another story that he relates in, which is really crazy, uh, in his autobiography. And he states this. He says, quote, Okay, back to Harbor High School on a hot, hot, hot day. In the background, I could hear someone saying things like, You think you know it all, huh? Little railing accusations from a brat came flying at me. He said rude things and then began to mock openly. He goes on to say he was blaspheming and stuff. And he says, And so the Lord said, quote, to Lonnie, supposedly, stretch forth your hand, and with the authority I placed on you, you bring him down. So I did exactly what the Lord said. I stretched forth my hand and used the authority that God put in my hands, and I turned everything uh, that he was saying around on him in divine judgment. He fell on the ground powerless. Before everyone, God struck him in the power and presence of God. The young student, Greg Laurie, was saved that day, and God also baptized him with the Holy Spirit. Greg Laurie got converted. And he was struck from on high by the power of God. He was struck down a mocker and raised up a son of God. He became my little brother and spiritual son from that day forward. Greg Laurie was the son I never had. One person that was there said that happened, but he was exaggerating it. One of his, a guy that loves Lonnie Frisbee. Uh, if you're a liar, you're wrong. If this is happening, this isn't how people are converted to Christ, okay? Uh, he doesn't, you, you can't, the Bible says in Galatians chapter 3 that we receive the Holy Spirit through faith. Greg was operating in exactly the opposite of faith at this time. And Greg may have an account that differs from this greatly. Certainly the movie showed a different kind of conversion than this. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. Uh, that doesn't seem to be at all. He's in like a car. He thinks he's going to crash. All of a sudden he's crying on the side of the road and Lonnie comes up as a savior, you know, and, and shares they didn't want the to show, with Keep him. in mind, the movie's a whitewash over the bizarrity that was Lonnie Frisbee and a lot of the stuff, the shenanigans that went on. So I think that's important that we understand that. You know, we're seeing all these, you know, supernatural events and so forth. And and I know, Joe, you you believe this, and obviously I do as well, that we do believe some of these are supernatural. It's just from the source that is not the Holy Spirit is yeah. what it, what it looks spirit, like. Yeah. What it looks lying like spirit. it's yep. from a lying spirit, a different spirit. Uh, and it also looks like, and this is made out in the movie as well, it looks like Chuck, and you already mentioned this earlier as well. Chuck Smith, That yeah. Chuck Smith was trying to reel in some of the nonsense. Chuck was trying to reel in some of those things that go beyond that which is written, and it does seem, seem that way, and it definitely seems that way in the film, which, praise God, I actually really, I did like that they kind of showed that, that he's like, hey, he's trying to have all these words of knowledge all of a sudden, it looks all uncomfortable. I can't imagine, if that's the the whitewashing of it, I can't imagine what that looked like in person, by the way. Yeah, but But we look at this, but... It does seem, Joe, that Chuck was uncomfortable with some of the excesses that he saw happening. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you see uh, the, you know, First Corinthians fourteen, when it talks about the gifts of the Spirit, it says that all things be done decently and in order. But Chuck Smith was trying to bring people to Christ and be established in the power of God's Word. And it's interesting because uh, at Lonnie's memorial service that was held at what was then called the Crystal Cathedral, now called Christ Cathedral, where Lonnie happens to be actually be buried. Uh, it was there that Chuck Smith, he mentioned that, uh, you know, Lonnie, that he would cringe when Lonnie would, would, would 
quotes would use the Bible, you know, go through the Bible stories because of how he would twist the scripture. Now, if you're a man of the Spirit, the scriptures are written by the Holy Spirit. They're inspired by the Holy Spirit. And if you're being led of the Spirit and being used by the Spirit, why would you be twisting the words of the Spirit? And by the way, again, it shows you that with Lonnie, there was an elevation of experience over Scripture, and an emphasis on the Spirit oftentimes over Jesus, which leads you into error and op- opens you up to a different spirit. We can see right here what happened with Chuck in regard to Lonnie twisting Scripture. In fact, I used to sit and sort of grin at <laughs> the way he twisted something the Bible See that is, uh, you know, especially that's a memorial service, kind of shows you that Chuck was being honest there. But we do want to say there's some flies in this ointment right away. And one of them is a warning that we see in Scripture. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, one of the warnings that it gives regarding not puffing up these elders at such a young age or putting them in a position at such a young age, no new converts, is so that they don't get puffed up and fall under the same condemnation as Satan. As the devil, that's right. And it seems like that he was put into positions teaching, and even admittedly so, at a very, very young age. Yeah, he, you know, he he says in his autobiography, he basically was considered a pastor at the age of, what, 18, 19 years old. And uh, he was very unlearned, you know, didn't know much scripture. Uh, he was studying it while he was on LSD. Of course, he's going to twist the scripture, as, uh, as Chuck acknowledged. And... Uh, it got kind of crazy. In fact, he he did have a Simon complex to a degree, you know, wanting to wield power and be seen as a prophet and so forth. In fact, listen to what he says. Some of his quotes in his autobiography are basically, they're stomach churning when you realize, how could you even say these kinds of things? He said, quote, I was the ruling, reigning, glorified youth director at Calvary Chapel. Multitudes of people that burned incense at my altar. So people came to burn incense at his altar. Uh, that is something that a Christian really, I believe, can't say. Wouldn't I mean, say. There was no. a lot of self-elevation uh, there, which is just absolutely uh, repugnant. Moving forward on this on this timeline here, you have a situation where now he leaves from California and goes all the way over to the other side of the country to, what, the shepherding movement, it is, it is yeah, called? I yeah, mean? he became part of the shepherding movement. Uh, it's important that maybe we, so people understand because they're trying to give them a fuller understanding of what happened here. That, yeah, he moves over there, but prior to that time, uh, he's having a rift with Chuck already regarding wanting to do signs and wonders, you know. And Chuck wanted to ground these young people in the Word so they know Jesus. At this time, his wife is not getting a lot of affection because he's just so busy. And maybe because of his other struggles with regard to the homosexuality, we don't know exactly what's happening with regard to his homosexuality during this exact period of time. Uh, so at this time, when this is going on, uh, she goes to Chuck Smith and she basically... Uh, you know, pleads with him, you know. And in fact, we actually have Chuck Smith Jr. feeling that that could have been handled better uh, and, that it, it, and that the ball was kind of dropped right there in regard to helping uh, with regard to their marriage. My dad's philosophy of ministry had harmed Lonnie and Connie's marriage. Um, I know that, that Lonnie and Connie both had talked to my dad about this. I remember making the appointment in and he asked me what it was for, and I said, well, marriage counseling. And um, uh, and then Chuck Smith told, uh, looked at me, and he said, the only thing that's important right now, Connie, is that people are getting saved. 
Um, and my dad's belief was that um, the hierarchy of values was God, ministry, family. I can just tell that Lonnie knew, now had a carte blanche to be as irresponsible as he wanted to be. And that's when, um, that's when I felt like I, had to st I was fighting God for my husband's attention. So I want to get this straight. So when he goes to Florida, is he dealing with like some bitterness between him and Chuck and not being the leader and so forth that he was and that Chuck was kind of pushing him off to the side? Yeah, he definitely had some bitterness uh, toward Chuck Smith. Uh, then later when he's kicked out of the vineyard, he gets bitterness toward Wimber as well. Uh, he was incredibly disappointed too later on in his life because he knew that he played a major role in the founding of Calvary Chapel and the vineyard movement. So here's this guy who's involved in all kinds of this weird stuff, but at the same time, he's been jettisoned. Uh, a lot of people say, you know, because of his homosexuality, uh, as the Wikipedia, you know, proposed. But I believe, and I'm not saying that wasn't a big part of it. I know it was with the vineyard for sure. But with regard to the false signs and wonders with regard to Chuck, that had probably something to do with it because Chuck wanted to run a more biblically-based church. But it's interesting because Lonnie does express a disappointment with how he was basically erased from the history in fact, he said this, and I quote from, this is book two of the autobiographies. However, as my life story continues, you might come to understand my disappointment to have been completely written out of the history of the Jesus People Movement. In fact, Lonnie Frisbee's brother, Stan Frisbee, goes as far as saying that he took this bitterness uh, against you know Chuck Smith and, and John Wimber, uh, that he, he, he dealt with it all his life after that and, until his uh, deathbed. He felt like he was... Uh, uh... He couldn't do the Lord's work, and so he started to have bitterness for the 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 Chuck and 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 um, John even John yeah, and so he just started having a root of bitterness, and and again a demonic attack, yeah, and it stayed and with him yeah. until all until his deathbed, and then and then it was dealt with. Go ahead. Now you can see this bitterness sometimes come out when he's preaching toward former leaders like Chuck and and. And uh, John Wimber, perhaps, uh, as well. In fact, uh, at Set Free Ministries, he's speaking, and uh, he's literally just, you know, calling, saying, I ran some big boys, man. We used to run with, he calls them bozos. So I believe that our testimonies in these end times are very important. I will tell you, that I, I, I need to tell you that I moved in big circles with big bozos. <laughs> So when he heads out to Florida and he gets with Bob Mumford and Derek Prince, does he go out there blindly and with no warnings about what these guys are about and so forth? Yeah, it's, it's quite interesting because the, the shepherding movement was just very, very heavy handed. I mean, they were like, we're the shepherds and you listen to what we say. And it's like, hey, you know what? Uh, it's like a shepherd can control you and say, hey, I'm going to and he's gonna go try to work on his marriage and stuff and so forth because he was losing credibility with regard to his marriage. And he's going to try to get that right. So he submits to Derek Prince and, and Bob Mumford. And, and the shepherding was so heavy-handed, Chad, where they could say, hey, I want you to come over and paint my house or wash my car. You're going to go do that later today. And you'd have to do that because that was just, it was wicked, man. Peter said not to lord it over the Lord's disciples, but be an example Amen. in First Peter chapter 5 uh, for elders. Uh, and later they acknowledged some of these leaders that it was very, very wrong. He was warned about Derek Prince because Derek Prince was very heavily into the the deliverance ministry, casting demons out of Christians, supposedly. So it's kind of interesting, Chad. A lot of times what happens is they're ministering to people, all these false signs and wonders, and people end up being possessed. 
not true Christians. I don't believe a genuine Christian can be possessed. I believe a Christian can be radically oppressed, but not actually possessed. And, and it's interesting that Chuck Smith warned him before he went there. He just warned all of his elders, and he said he happened to be at this elders meeting. And Lonnie talks about this in his book, uh, on, in his autobiographies. He talks about that, uh, that Chuck warned us that he was a wolf in sheep's clothing and that he was a false prophet or false teacher. And I had that heads up, but guess what? He goes, and in, within, in about two months after Chuck warns him, he ends up renting a, a, a apartment from Derek Prince, right? Oh, it was the cheapest one I could find, you know? He ends up renting from him, and uh, he ends up calling him, I'll use his words, he said, he went from believing he was a false apostle to joining him and calling him an anointed apostle. So he looked at him as an apostle. And keep in mind, these guys, when you're looking at Lonnie Frisbee, guys, you can't separate him from the charismania that's out there with all these people getting into this, you know, what's called the New Apostolic Reformation now and all these false signs and wonders. He's part and parcel of this whole thing. In fact, he paved the way for many of these people. I think it's important that we understand this. So Mumford and, and Derek Prince, they realize, well, how Lonnie's been used to reach a lot of people over there. Well, they can reach him for their false doctrines, which, of course, they're not saying they're false doctrines, but deliverance ministry, shepherding, all this weirdness. And even one of Lonnie's best friends said that he was being used because he was a Pied Piper. These guys in the shepherding movement, now this is the, this is the next phase of Lonnie's life. They talked, Bob Mumford specifically talked Lonnie, because Lonnie was a Pied Piper, they were recruiting some of the younger people. Uh, but they were more kind of rigid, mi militaristic uh, kind of people. And Lonnie ended up moving down to Fort Lauderdale to try to save his marriage, to try to put things together. So, you know, uh, it, it's hard to see one of your main leaders migrate out of your camp. So it didn't bode well for Lonnie to leave the Calvary Chapel system. And, and quite honestly, you get stuck in your little bubble. And you, that's your world, man, the Calvary Chapel world. Uh, and that propensity happens to just, I think, every move of God. But what happened was Lonnie goes down to Fort Lauderdale trying to heal his marriage and didn't work out. Got divorced. His wife left him. Now, Derek Prince, man, this is another scary guy, man, because he's literally they're having all these demonic manifestations with his people. And he's, you know, actively claiming to be casting demons out of people. And there's demons manifesting, but are they actually coming out or are they just manifesting under this false anointing? I come against every evil spirit that has been renounced in the name of Jesus. I command you to come out, release them, go from them in the name of Jesus. Let them go. Let them go. You've been defeated by the blood of Jesus. Get out in the name of Jesus. Come out. Come out. Come out in Jesus' name. You bow before the name of Jesus. Release these people. Come out. Come out in Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus. That's right. Let it go. Out. Out in the name of Jesus. Out. In the name of Jesus. Every spirit of insanity, you come out. So Derek Prince, it's interesting when he casts these demons out. What do you do when you want to be delivered? If you're, if you're being attacked by a demon, even you cry out to God. Draw near to God, he'll draw near you. you. Resist the devil, he'll flee from you. But you know what? He tells his people, actually, don't pray. He goes, oh, the spirits won't come out if you're praying. Really interesting. You're telling people not to pray. He tells them to breathe, you know. 
just kind of like a little breathing exercise so you can get them to come out. And then what's interesting is then people will manifest when they stop praying. Isn't that interesting? It's very religious to pray. Sounds good. But as long as you're praying, you're keeping the demons inside. You understand? They can't get out past your prayer. Do one very simple thing. Begin to breathe out. Expel. And you find if you have a problem, in a short while, it'll be more than mere human breath that's coming up. Now, what's interesting is Derek Prince himself uh, admits that he was, maybe so was, demon-possessed. And he said that he was demon-possessed for some time during his ministry, you guys. My description of demons is persons without bodies. It's very important to realize you're dealing with a person. In the early years of my ministry, I suffered from intense depression that would come over me and rest upon me like a dark cloud and shut me in, keep me from communicating. And I struggled with it. I did everything. I prayed. I fasted. I reckoned myself dead. I knew the scriptures. And the more I prayed and fasted, the worse it got. This thing, it was like a heavenly vacuum cleaner. It came down over my shoulders and just sucked this thing out. And I had struggled with it for years until I recognized it was not myself. It was another person seeking to afflict me. There are a lot of people that do love Jesus, I will say that, that do follow and listen to some of Derek Prince's teachings. Because there are some that if you weren't listening to him on some side, you'd be like, oh, wow, this is pretty solid. Yeah, sure. But guys, this is so unbelievably dangerous. And it's so popular. In fact, there is a movie that's going to be in thousands of theaters coming out that Joe and I will be doing a re review on because we want to talk about the new apostolic reformation. We've already exposed Greg Locke before teaming up with new agers, admitting that you can team up with new agers and Muslims and so forth to fight against tyrannical governments. And we're going to talk about that because all these things line up too sadly with a demonic perfection of what's going to happen in the end times and how it relates to believers and how people are going to be deceived. So this is so important man that just reminds me being possessed makes me think of Brigham young of mormonism and so forth calling upon demons for sermons yeah. and and things like that just incredible but let me not get too far down the weeds because that is part of what you guys are watching right now because as we get into this as we finish this episode this is only the beginning of what we are talking about in terms of the new apostolic reformation in terms of reconstructionism in terms of dominionism and where this is all going and so it's That's important right. for us to get to this, and this is why this episode is so important. So we pray that you guys are staying with us. The beginning of this whole movement. Exactly, exactly. This is the foundation of it. But before we get into the full kind of expression of that, we have this scenario. So we went out to these the shepherding stuff, with all this you know demon possession of believers and so forth, Pied Piperisms, using him as a Pied Piper, whatever. But there's still the question about his marriage. He's yeah. married to Connie, so they go there. They're yeah. about a year or so, you know, and then. Uh, and, you know, he is done with the shepherding movement, I think, in 1973. Uh, he, he was there in 71, so like 72, and then part of 73. Uh, and oh, I should say his wife, they end, up, they end up, you know, splitting up, you know, and they end up later divorcing. Uh, in 73, they split up. And, and what's interesting, years later, you know, several years later, after the vineyard movement starts and so forth, he's at a church in Denver, Colorado, uh, talking about how, why I got divorced. And he's like saving face and saying, because my wife committed adultery by sleeping with my pastor. Well, the sad thing is he doesn't tell the whole story, you know? And this is another thing about Lonnie. He, he was, uh, the Lonnie that people often saw 
uh, was not the Lonnie that not, not he had two different lives. And and uh, the Bible says, you know, he that sin is of, is of the devil, and because the devil sins from the beginning. In First John chapter three verse eight, First John chapter two verse four it says, if we say we have fellowship with him, yet we walk in darkness, we lie and we don't practice the truth. Uh, the scriptures are very clear that we have to really sincerely walk with Jesus. And so it's interesting when you look at this behavior. Uh, he's saying, hey, publicly, you know, yeah, my wife, you know, she committed adultery with my pastor. You know, maybe he had some bitterness there, but guess what? She tells a little bit more of the story. And that is, is that he was habitually over and over and over again for a long period of time, uh, not coming home until, you know, 2, 2 30 in the morning. And uh, he wouldn't tell her where he was at, but he was gone. You know, he had a double life. And finally, he confessed, confessed to her that he was going to gay bars. Okay, well, why do people go to gay bars, guys? And he was going to gay bars and, uh, she said that that's what led to her, not that it justified what she was doing, but you can understand it was a little bit more to the picture. At the end of the marriage, he told me that he had been staying late in some gay bars. He told me that he had been staying late in some gay bars. She goes on to say after saying that Lonnie was going to gay bars and, and Lonnie would come home late, but never consistently at the same time, which was about 2.30 in the morning after the bars Close, and he told me, quote, I've been hanging out at some gay bars. She goes on to say that it was not long after he told me that I fell into an affair. And she says, I moved up to Meadow Vista. He moved out of the house and took what he wanted. So there's a lot more to the story there. And by the way, for those who say, okay, yeah, maybe he dabbled in something, we're seeing, and it's going to get worse, we're seeing that he's actually practicing uh, this kind of lifestyle. Keep in mind, before he met her, he already acknowledged to her that it was not only gay, but that he frequented. He was part of the uh, the, the, the gay scene at Laguna Beach. Uh, so we have the same thing taking place here. So it's, it's very, very important to understand that there's a, it's not just somebody falling once or twice, but some there's a lifestyle going on to a degree. So we have a situation where Lonnie has now gone from California out to Florida. You mentioned he's spoken Colorado and so forth, but he does end up coming back to Costa Mesa with Chuck Smith. So maybe if we can get a little background of what took place to get him back with Chuck Smith. Yeah, well, he uh, goes back to Chuck Smith after a little bit of time and he asks if he wants to be involved in ministry again. Uh, Chuck slow walks it and puts a vest on him and he is basically directing traffic. And Lonnie did not want to be in the background as a servant. He wanted to be up front, you know, and he's frustrated with that. Of course, that added to his disappointment. Uh, finally, what Chuck ends up doing. Uh, and when I say this, I'm not saying, keep in mind, a lot of stuff we're revealing here is not stuff that Chuck would readily know. He maybe knew some things that we're not even, we don't know about, probably did. Uh, but I don't want to say that he knew a bunch of dark things and was it was putting him in this position because, uh, he, you know, there's only so much he could know and he was very, very busy in ministry. And I'm not giving Chuck a free pass either. That could be between him and the Lord, but I don't want to indict him uh, when he may not have known a lot what was going on. He probably didn't know that, you know, uh, he was going to gay bars and everything else, but he puts a vest on him. Eventually, he gives him Wednesday nights to preach at the church there in, in, a, in a Costa Mesa. Uh, and then he's counseling for a while. And then after about a year of counseling people, uh, he says, I was so tired of hearing people's problems. You know, I couldn't, couldn't hear anybody else's problems. He says it's not about biography. Because if I did, I'd, I'd have the worst problem in the church. Uh, so he didn't, it wasn't about serving in, in the background, you know. What happens is uh, he, he, he wants a change, and then Chuck sends him to South Africa, and he goes to South Africa and different parts of Africa and the Middle East and so forth. And in uh, Europe, he claims that there was revival taking place there, and people were being slain in the spirit left and right, falling down and, and having all this behavior that we don't see 
in Scripture. We see tongues in Scripture, but that's not to be with, but without interpretation, the Scriptures say. So what happens after this, Chad, is that, uh, fast forward now, is that he ends up uh, being invited to, by John Wimber, who is a Calvary Chapel pastor at the time, and he's speaking at different some different Calvary Chapel uh, churches. Wimber was kind of reluctant to have him, but he was hanging out at his church. And then he finally said, hey, I want you to speak at a Mother's Day service, and I want you to do the message. And uh, he ends up doing that message, and that's where, man, whoo, all kinds of stuff takes place. But here you'll see him and others talking about uh, that particular meeting on Mother's Day of 1980. John and I met three years ago at the pastor's conference. And the Lord told us that he was going to join us together, and it's taken three years to do it because I'm a chicken. I think the Lord's going to meet us tonight in a special way. So I want you to be in expectancy for a move of the Spirit of God. He asked people 25 and under to come forward. And so we had all these young people, probably 300 or so, uh, go forward. He just says the words, Holy Spirit, come. Almost immediately, uh, this, everybody just fell on the floor. There's a tremendous outpouring of the Spirit of God upon the young people here. The Spirit of the Lord is moving upon these girls right here. And one of the kids, uh, his name Ricky, when he fell to the floor, he pulled the microphone down. Well, a lot of them started speaking in tongues. Others were crying. But the sound was uh, uh, shocking. <laughs> and we... I didn't know what to do. I stared at this whole thing. I didn't know Lonnie. Uh, John was shocked. He was sitting there. He's trying to figure out what's going on. A lot of people got up and laughed, and, and they were angry and uh, whatever. So we hear this, but what ultimately was the effect of, of Lonnie speaking there at the Calvaries? Yeah, well, he basically only wants young people to come up, you know. Young people are less discerning. Uh, they're more uh, open to experience. And... This is going to split this Calvary Chapel. About half the people are more going to leave because many of them rely, re, believe it's demonic, what's happening in this, with the behavior. He, you can, I've listened to his message. He sets them up. He talks about other things that people do when he's ministering, like in Africa. And he says, you need to have a spirit you know, of expectancy. This is going to happen to you. So he sticks it in their minds already previously. He gets them worked up. And then it's crazy, Chad, because he starts commanding. This is where he commands the Holy Spirit, you know. And he yells, fall, Holy Spirit, you know, and so forth. And then what happens is people are falling all over the place. And there's some of them are speaking in tongues. Some are rolling around. Bodies are on top of bodies. And we can hear some of what he said right here. Spirit of the Lord is moving. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, let the power of God come. In Jesus' name, I bless you in the north and the Lord. Let the anointing of the Lord fall. Hallelujah. Let the power of the Holy Spirit come. Let the anointing of the Lord fall. Hallelujah. Let the power of the Holy Spirit come. So, Joe, what does Lonnie say the reaction? I know he commented on this. What does yeah. he say the reaction to this messaging ended up being oh, there in Loma Linda? Well, in book two of his autobiography, I'll just quote him right here. Chairs flying and hundreds of piles of laughing and crying young believers drunk in the spirit, speaking in unknown tongues. The Bible says, you know, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit, chat is self-control. His love, the joy, apostles love, were, were said that they were drunk, and they said, no, it's early in the morning, we ain't drinking. Yeah, amen. <laughs> so we're seeing the beginnings of the so-called laugh revival here, Ooh. which is basically going to go from this vineyard to the airport vineyard, which will become a vineyard later under John Arnott, to Brownsville, 
to, in Pensacola uh, to Reading, the false revival that's going on there in Reading, California under Bill Johnson. This is the beginning of that. And he I starts talking as about well as I hop, in there. Yeah, all yeah. this crazy stuff's going on. In fact, John Wimber's wife, Carol Wimber, in a book that she wrote years later states, quote, chairs were falling over and the people were falling on top of the fallen chairs. The leaders that could still function were shouting at one another and it was complete pandemonium. That's not the fruit of the spirit, brothers and sisters. It was complete pandemonium, she says. Pan, you know, pandemonium, pan opening the, you know, the uh, letting a bunch of spirits out, different spirits, which is not what she means there, but that's what I envisioned. Others were shouting that they were getting out of here. Uh, someone uh, had crashed into uh, the soundboard. It's interesting, John Rutke, who had lived with Lonnie at this time, uh, he states, he recounted what took place from his vantage point. Boom, and he said, come Holy Spirit. I never heard anybody say that. You hear people say that all the time now, but you know, the Spirit of God dropped in that place. I mean, 350 people, boom, on the ground. Well, Wimmer wasn't all that happy about it. So it, like, he's thinking it's going to screw the church up and, oh my gosh, what's going on? Uh, you know, somebody, a microphone fell and the kid's like wailing in tongues. You know, it's like, bam, all over the gymnasium. They couldn't find, there were so many bodies on top of one another because the presence of God fell. Wow, Joe, especially when you read 1 Corinthians and you know that God is a God of order and not disorder. If this isn't disorderly. Yeah, and God says that when he's talking about the gifts of the Spirit. This is the very opposite of that. <laughs> that's, that's the craziest thing that I could think yeah. of. But Joe, how honestly, when we're looking at this and you see this kind of going on, how did this end up affecting some of the other Calvaries as well? Well, there ended up being a split in the Calvaries. Uh, Lonnie Frisbee himself acknowledged that many believed it was pure emotionalism or of the devil. In fact, I have a quote from him here. Lonnie says, however, not all Calvary chapels ended up agreeing that what happened was that night was from God. News spread like wildfire. There was a huge split of opinions. People said it was pure emotionalism and accused me of saying Lonnie Frisbee uses mass hypnosis and crowd manipulation, which I think is interesting because he practiced hypnotism before he became a professing Christian. No way could it be, says Lonnie, an anointing out of an uh, outpouring of the Holy Spirit of God. Many took uh, the accusation several steps further and said it was the devil. And of course, John Wimber is like freaked out. He's like, okay, what do I do with it? Now he's been wanting something like this, but he says he was fit to be tied and he tried to make, tried to explain what was going on. So there was a gathering of like 70 different people after this. Many had already left and would never return. And there was a, a gathering of about 70 different people uh, to talk about this. And, and John Wimber asked Lonnie Frisbee there to explain what happened from a theological uh, basis. Of course, you have no theological basis for this. This is unbiblical. And you're supposed to test, you know, test everything by scripture. And John Wimber, he called, quote, to bring some clarity and consensus to the craziness of the Mother's Day meeting. But Wimber's friend, John Rutke, uh, talks about what happened in that meeting when they got together with about 70 people. And it's quite a crazy story, just like what we've been reading. We had to have a special meeting for that meeting. And that's when, you know, like maybe 70 people showed up and it was at the Wagner House. And it was really quite interesting because I'm in this room with all these leaders and they're all upset and like, oh my gosh, the church is... We're going to destroy the church. And, you know, half the people were excited. Half the people weren't. I was sitting next to the guy that was not happy. Lonnie gets up and he starts to share. Uh, you know, John says, well, Lonnie, why don't you explain to everybody what's happening? The more Lonnie talked, the stupider it got. 
I mean, it couldn't even put any theological content to it. It was like, oh, man, whew. I could see Wimber was sweating bullets, man. And I was sitting next to a guy who was like very conservative kind of guy, foot's tapping. You know, you can almost feel the tension of this guy. And the more Lonnie's talking, it was, it got worse. And Wimber steps up and says, well, I think what Lonnie's trying to say is, you know, and he puts all kinds of theological content to everything that he thought was happening. So, and, you know, <laughs> the, the room was just filled with this tension. And I'm watching everything, and Lonnie stands up. And, oh, before he did this, he kicked off his flip-flops, and he burped in the microphone because he had stomach problems. I'm just going, oh, man, wow. But Lonnie steps forward. He says, listen, that's not at all what I'm thinking. He said, what I think is we need to cry out to God and repent ourselves for what we've done to the third person of the Holy Spirit, wham, the power of God fell right on us. We didn't get out of there for another two and a half hours. The presence of God just fell on us. It was so powerful. Well, everybody got on board quick. And that became what was called the Vineyard Movement. So what's interesting about this in the, in the autobiography, Frisbee's autobiography, uh, Rutt Case speaks extensively about this, and he, he talks about how uh, this conservative guy, who he says in the book looked like a nuclear physicist of some sort, uh, he was one of the most skeptical. But when Lonnie, you know, uh, he said there burped, you know, flipped off his flip-flops and said, you know, you got to go to another level. But right when he says that, he says this guy falls down, right? He's rolling around under his pew, right? Speaking in tongues and, and so forth. Again, we're seeing activity again that is unscriptural, unbiblical, and it's a different spirit. Amen. You know, it says very clearly that Jesus promised the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit would speak of him. That's right. And he would be the one that the Holy Spirit would speak yeah, of. Yeah, and, and Chad, since you mentioned that, that's for, uh, John, John chapter 16, 16, verses 13 and 14. Yeah. And, and uh, it says, you know, he wouldn't speak of his own initiative. King James says he wouldn't be, be glorify his own, he wouldn't take his own glory, but probably means he wouldn't speak from himself, but he would testify or glorify Jesus. So when you have a real, true spirit-filled fellowship, you're not hearing all this talk about the Spirit of God constantly and, and having to experience the Spirit of God. You're going to be hearing about Jesus and how we love Jesus and how Jesus is our Lord and Savior. And we'll pray that God would fill us with the Spirit and use us to his glory, but the emphasis will be on Jesus, not on people barking, laughing, laughing like hyenas and so forth, and, and rolling around on the ground. Amen. If you're in touch with the Spirit, you're going to be in touch with Jesus, and you're going to be in touch with the Word of God in which the Holy Spirit wrote. Amen. Amen. So, Joe, where does it go from here? We got all these things going on. We've 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 kind of a little bit of chronological, but we've gone back and forth a little bit. But chronologically, we're, we're we've went through the '60s, we went through the the '70s, and now well, this is all going on with Wimber. Late 1980. Set, now we're uh, 1980. 1980. This so, not Mother's Day, 1980. So then after Mother's Day, and then what happens is, wow, he becomes like the resident revivalist. They bring him on staff full time, uh, and he's there on staff with, and it gets uglier because while he's on staff, he gets involved in with homosexual activity, uh, unbeknownst to them for some time. And what happens is uh, he's in a relationship with a young man uh, for like six months, at least one relationship going on at that time. And uh, this, you know, basically just blows up in the face of uh, the vineyard and in the face of Lonnie. And uh, he's confronted. In fact, it's interesting. Uh, people recognize he lived a duplicitous life. And uh, Chuck Smith Jr., uh, basically talks about how, 
you know, and I'll, I'll let him say it, but he was notified about this relationship. He ends up calling John Wimber. I got a telephone call one day that this young man who was in the, the church here in Laguna Beach was feeling really bad, really convicted, really guilty. And he confided in uh, his pastor that he had had a six-month affair with Lonnie. One night, I, I went to the vineyard on a Sunday night, and John and Carol asked my wife and I if we had wanted to go out and have a cup of coffee with them after church. We did, and we're talking. And I said, John, I want to ask you a question. As far as Lonnie goes with his homosexuality, is that something that you just show him mercy with? And John said, how do you know Lonnie's homosexual? Has he told you himself? And I said, yes, he has. The next day, John called me. He said, I spoke to Lonnie today. I asked him if this was so, and he admitted it. He confessed that it was so. And he said, I let him go. I terminated him. In fact, a leading uh, vineyard spokesman talked about how they had to ask him to leave or he decided to leave because they actually tried to keep him there even though he was involved in this wicked activity but put him more in the background and have, have them sit, him submit to their leadership so he wouldn't be a homosexual predator at their church but uh, they realized that that wasn't working because he'd still try to be around different people to whoever to uh, I don't know what his motives were at that point uh, but then uh, they gave him parameters that he couldn't do that and he didn't like the parameters of being under that kind of restriction ended up leaving the vineyard movement after some time. We know we pulled him out of visible ministry, and that's the thing Lonnie had a difficult time with. Uh, he'd be talking, meeting with people, and I'd want to know, what are you doing? And I'd go talk with people and ask him, I want to know, it was Lonnie hitting on somebody. So we kept putting more and more you know, boundaries on him, and finally he left. He just felt we were unjust in our treatment of him, and uh, which is fine. It was a hard thing for me to understand how he could party on Saturday night and preach on Sunday morning. I think that's one area of his life that never uh, got, it was never broken, he was never free of it. And it remained hidden away and would manifest itself very secretly, very privately. Again, uh, the scriptures say in 1 John chapter 3 uh, that he that's born of God doesn't practice sin. And it's interesting, Golikson, not only is saying that he was a practicing homosexual, but he went on to say he, speaking of Frisbee, had a long-term relationship with someone at Camp Pendleton, an officer. So you're getting these different, you know, going to gay bars over and over again and, and being with different men. These are just things that were outed. We don't know exactly what else was going on. Unfortunately, uh, Greg Laurie, when he's interviewed about this, he says in, regarding him falling on back Bruce in morality, yeah. Ruslan's channel, we mentioned some falling back in immorality. Uh, Greg Laurie actually states that, well, I don't know that he ever fell into homosexuality, just, you know, immorality and drugs. And in his own books that he's written about his life, he talks about how he was up partying, he started using drugs, mm -hmm. and he was living immorally. I don't know the specifics of his immorality, mm -hmm. if it involved homosexual encounters. Do you know what? I'm going to leave that before Greg and God because— uh, Greg should know far better than I do and didn't take a lot of research to find out that the, those who were closest to him talk about how he was definitely, and those who had to discipline him, they certainly knew what he was into. And uh, it's hard to believe that Greg helped produce this movie and he didn't know that. And I think, 
you know, he's soft pedaling it, you know, to a degree. So it's really heartbreaking, Chad, when you see this and it grieves, it grieves your spirit uh, because this is a man who was actually over other people. Scriptures are really clear. In Romans chapter 1, if you love truth, God's word says that God gave people up to depraved minds. You know, he handed them over to depraved minds and they worshiped the creature rather than the creator. And he gave them over to heterosexual sin. And then it goes on to talk about homosexual sin and men burning their lust for one another. And the Bible condemns this as being unnatural uh, because God created the man and the woman. They're actually made to be together to bring forth children. Two men come together, it brings forth disease. And the Lord said, be fruitful and multiply. And uh, uh, and again, my heart breaks for Lonnie Frisbee, what he'd gone through because of being molested when he was young. And let that be a warning to anybody that would ever get involved in sexual sin. It has incredible ramifications on people's lives. Again, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10 warns that, you know, homosexuals and effeminate and, you know, drunkards and thieves and fornicators, adulterers, they will not inherit God's kingdom. And the scripture is black and white on that. And unfortunately, what people are doing is they're using Lonnie Frisbee now in the, uh, you know, right now as we speak, Chad, and even before this, the LGBTQ movement has been using Lonnie Frisbee as someone to rally around saying that the church should accept homosexuality. And that was one of the things I saw coming, in fact, on a Pathios article written by somebody pro the alphabets, right? Pro pro the whole, you know, gay movement and queerness and all that. This person basically says the subtext of the movie was as if hippies were brought into the church without being changed before, you know, we should allow homosexuals to come into the church. Uh, in the context there is as homosexuals. There's even a book out called Lonnie Frisbee, Catalyst for Revival, The New Move of the Spirit from Hippies to Homosexuals. It's a book that seeks to make Lonnie's homosexuality, uh, a, a bridge to allow other homosexuals to come into the church in good standing while they're still practicing homosexuals. In fact, it's heartbreaking because even Chuck Smith Jr., who basically was disciplined by his father and excommunicated from the Calvary Chapel movement because of some of his emergent stuff and uh, getting away from some of the things that Chuck believed were biblical, uh, he actually, in this same video, which, uh, which we've shown some clips from and which we're basically also looking at because that, that movie that you're seeing on Lonnie Frisbee, where we've shown some of the clips of people talking about his homosexuality, uh, seems to be, uh, you be the judge, promoting this idea, although uh, some would say it was neutral. But uh, it's interesting because even Chuck Smith Jr. is saying that Lonnie got in trouble because he got caught. And basically, he goes on to say that we should seek to accommodate homosexuals into the church. Lonnie's misfortune is he got caught. Because there are a lot of charismatic homosexual ministers right now. And I'm not saying that, you know, it's okay as long as you don't get caught. I'm saying that, that we need to find a way for them, find a way within the body of Christ to love and minister to them and accommodate them. But by the church closing its doors to this issue, it drives us out into the darkness. And in the darkness, we do things because we're afraid, because we're alone, because we don't know how else to do it. So, Joe, when, when I see all this, and, and I want to relate this to maybe some of the things that the audience might be thinking as well, because sadly, one of the things that does take place is when people hear all this and they hear, wow, look at all the wicked sin that they were involved in, is they mess up once again, and it's and it goes back into the pendulum swinging that takes place. But one of them is like, well, we're all sinners, Joe. It's just normal. We're all sinners. I'm sorry if you as a believer are just continuing in rebellion that's not simply saying that I have sinned, but now am I, I am in the grace of God. I have stumbled. 
but it is you just saying, I now live in this because that's the difference in first John, first John chapter two, he says that I write these things that you may not sin, but if you do sin, you have an advocate, the father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. But then in the same first John chapter one, we read quite clearly that God is light. And by the way, I point this out because right before that in first John, we are told that this is an apostle who saw Jesus with his own eyes, who touched him with his own hands, who heard him with his own ears. And after he presents that, to make sure you know he's not a Gnostic, (laughs) it's not a Gnostic version of Christ consciousness, so that you know that he's a real person, he says, this is the message that we heard from him, that God is light and in him there's no darkness at all. If anyone walks in darkness, and I'm sorry, those practicing witchcraft, those practicing mysticism, those practicing homosexuality and continuing in that rebellion, it's different saying I'm struggling and I'm trying not to do this. Six-month relationships and homosexual relationships and so forth, cheating on your wife and practicing mysticism, these are not simply I stumbled and messed up and need to get back on the horse. This is you just living that lifestyle, sadly enough. And this is the most devastating thing. You do reap what you sow. And Joe, one of my favorite things in the Sold Their Souls for Rock and Roll is the clip of a young man who shares his testimony. And his testimony is on his deathbed, Joe. And he is dying on his deathbed of AIDS because he lived a homosexual lifestyle. But he's repenting of that homosexual lifestyle. I lived mostly an asexual lifestyle through junior high, high school. Had fantasies. Mm -hmm. Fantasies included a little bit of both ways, but I figured um, that that's just a passing routine and not to let that hook me. But I made a mistake because I had been so well taught that God was a God of grace that I could just about go out and do anything I wanted and God would, if it were wrong, God would forgive me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, obviously today I'm paying a price for something I did mm-hmm. that God definitely warned me I shouldn't have done. Mm-hmm. And that's why I need to make a, a message here. And Joe, the contrast there, one, I love that he wants to give the message of warning there that we do reap what we sow. You know, it, it's a reality, Joe, that you and I both, even before we were saved, we sowed to the flesh and we reap corruption. I know there's things even even as a believer, that are affected in your life from things that you have done in the past, let alone when you're claiming to be a believer and you've sowed to the flesh and you do reap corruption. But I love that person's message. But I did, I did hear and have read that Frisbee did repent on his deathbed. So I, I think we do need to answer to that as well. Yeah, and, and uh, his brother, uh, one of his best friends, states that... Uh, and he had seen that best friend for a couple years prior to that, or a little bit prior to that. But he uh, says that he repented on his deathbed of his homosexuality and so forth. Uh, whether he did or not, I mean, that's going to be between him and God. I hope he did. I know there was a lot of times he was claiming he wasn't involved when apparently he was. But when you're on your deathbed and you're dying of AIDS, I would hope that would bring you to a point to be brought to your knees and you're crushed before God. You say, have mercy on me. Now, at the same time, uh, he's we're told that, you know, he repented of his bitterness because he had a lot of rage in his heart toward Chuck Smith and and others, and that's why one of the in the scriptures talks about you know those who outwardly are have sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravenous wolves. He had a lot of bitterness and everything else, and and hopefully he did repent of that. Uh, did he repent of being a false prophet and manipulating people and being involved in occult powers? You know, 
I don't know where he was at exactly at the end. And we're not God. We step back and we, you know, hope that, uh, I hope to God, you know, that uh, he got right and fully right and so forth. But that's that's God's domain. We can just, but to go around and just say, oh yeah, he was totally right with God and so forth. Well, he had just been prophesying again, just a few months before that, falsely prophesying. Uh, so I don't know, you know, but I do know this, that he did condemn homosexuality. So anybody who would use Lonnie and say, oh, Lonnie was, you know, a pro-homosexual. Lonnie claimed that homosexuality was a horrible sin, was very destructive. He says in his autobiography, he saw what homosexuality did and how it actually opened you. And he talked about homosexuals that he felt he ties it together with pedophilia because he went through that himself as far as what happened to him. Some of the biggest takeaways our brothers and sisters need to have here is recognize there's a different spirit at work. It's undeniable when you look at the facts. If we are honest with God's truth, Lonnie was tragically misled by a different Jesus and a different spirit. He contradicted Jesus' declaration that those who were claiming to do all these miracles and prophecies and cast out demons in his name, but were in fact living wicked lifestyles and not doing the will of the Father, but were workers of lawlessness, would hear his words, depart from me, I never knew you, you workers of lawlessness. Because Lonnie claimed that the Jesus that came to him said that no matter how wicked he was, that God would never end his ministry. In his autobiography, Not by Might or by Power, The Jesus Revolution, the first volume, he says, quote, The power of God fell all over me and went completely down to my itty-bitty toes. The Lord said, You will never get out of the ministry. I said, But what if I'm in sin? Doesn't matter. What if I'm in rebellion against you? He said, I still love you anyway, but get this and get this good. You will never be out of the ministry no matter what, end quote. Of course, this also contradicted what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, that he beat his body down so that after he preached the gospel to others, that he himself would not be rejected. This is also clearly a false prophecy, not only because it contradicts the Jesus of the Bible, but because his ministry was circumvented and he died years before his time of AIDS. And you need to be in the Word. Because if you're not in the Word, you're going to be easily deceived because you see the Holy Spirit works in a totally different way than you would see through Kenneth Copeland and Benny Hinn and Catherine Coleman and, 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 and Lonnie Frisbee. And thankfully, you know, Chuck, in the long run, he as this thing went down, he said, wait a minute, this is, he knew something was off kilter, you know, to the degree that he knew what was going on, we don't know. But we do know this, that he sought to build the Calvary chapels on the Word of God, teaching verse by verse through Scripture, where many uh, people in Calvary Chapel were truly born again, love the Lord, were, were strong, and there's many of them, thousands, tens of thousands of people in Calvary Chapels that love the Lord, that stand strong today. I'm not saying that there weren't ever any abuses. Uh, churches go through things, that there weren't things that still need to be corrected, and so forth. I know there's a split in the Calvary Chapel the last so many years as well. But at the same time, let's make sure we don't write off, in conclusion, we don't write off everybody that's associated with Calvary Chapel. There's some wonderful uh, godly teachers in the Calvary Chapel movement who have been a huge blessing to not thousands, but probably millions of people. So let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. But at the same time, as you can see, we love to speak the truth in love. And you need to be warned because Jesus said there would be this false movement in the end days. Jesus warned that many would come saying, that on judgment day, they stand before the Lord. And you'll see these folks saying, Lord, Lord, you know, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name and, and perform many miracles? Yet he'll say to them, this is key, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. You see, a lot of these people in the charismania will be workers of lawlessness because they're not based on submitting to God and his word. They're based on experience and feelings, and they go with their feelings. They go into all kinds of sexual sin and perversion. 
And this is leading to this great counterfeit revival that's based on putting signs and wonders above God's truth. And, you know, guess what? You know, God does true, genuine miracles, but they're based on his truth and they can be tested. We're called to test the spirits to make sure they're of God. The scriptures say, test everything, hold fast to that which is good, because the time is coming, the Bible says, when Jesus warned in Matthew chapter 24, verses 24 and 25, for false prophets, false Christ and false prophets will arise, showing great signs and wonders, deceiving, if possible, even the elect. And guess what? If they were easy to spot or they didn't quote scripture and they were it's like, oh, it sounds good right there, then they wouldn't fool anybody. But they're going to miss uh, mix truth with lies. And I end we, we end with this to really hopefully you think uh, a lot about where this is headed is Chad and I are going to be doing a series on the New Apostolic Reformation with regard to Bethel and all the stuff that's been going on uh, and, and where this is going. What we've talked about right now is the beginnings of that movement. And you have to understand that in the end of days, man, as we head into the tribulation period eventually, maybe not in our lifetimes, but if we do, and those who do, this thing is going to come to a crescendo where it says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8, Paul says that Antichrist will be revealed whom the Lord will slay with the spirit of his mouth, the brightness of his coming. And when the Antichrist is revealed, Paul goes on to say in verse 9 that he'll come with all kinds of power and signs and lying wonders. But it says they're given over to a strong delusion. God gives them a strong delusion. They believe the lie because they had pleasure in wickedness. Because they didn't love the truth, you guys. You need to love truth. You need to love Jesus. You need to love his words. You need, you need to love his word. You need to hate the counsel of the evil one. You need to hate the lies that are deceiving the masses. What happened with Lonnie? He brought in a lot of division in the church. And right now, you have those who are just grabbing after false signs and wonders. And guess what? Us, those of us who are in the word of God, we're often spoken against as those who will be killed because we're not part of the revival in the end of days. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, there's counterfeit. We're seeing a lot of the counterfeit today, but counterfeit is counterfeiting something that's real. <laughs> the counterfeit is counterfeiting something that's real, and it's someone who's real. His name is, is Jesus Christ. And you need to know that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's creator of the universe. He died to pay for your sins on the cross. He, he proclaimed not only his gospel that he would die and he did it and fulfilled scripture and fulfillment of the prophecies, but he rose again on the third day and conquered death, sin, Satan, Hades, all that. So you could have eternal life. The Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And the Bible says, if you turn to him in repentant faith, you put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll pass from death to life and will not come into condemnation. Amen. God bless you guys. Love you guys. You've been listening to the Good Fight Radio Show brought to you by Good Fight Ministries. If you're blessed by this show and would like to partner with us, please consider visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com goodfight. Or you can write to us at P.O. Box 2202, Simi Valley, California, 93062. Or call us toll free at 1-866-JC-TRUTH. That's 1-866-528-7884. We hope you'll tune in next time on the Good Fight Radio Show.